Broadcasting from the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, welcome to Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. I'm Jim Perry. Thank you for listening to this bonus show. Tonight, a conversation with Ryan Singer, recorded live in front of a Patreon audience on July 20th. We discuss an encounter that will never be forgotten, one in which has forced him to reckon with the unknown while staring into the face of fear itself. That's tonight on Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. Ryan Singer, stand-up and host creator for the podcast, Me and Paranormal You, and co-host for This Is Where the Magic Happens with Angela Lovell. Armed with an open mind and a warm heart, it's been my impression that he has never been afraid to immerse himself in reality-shattering experiences. But recently, while finding his rhythm as an in-the-field paranormal investigator, he was met with an uncertain reality, a confrontation that has perhaps forever changed his life. And we'll chat about that and much more tonight from Los Angeles, California. Ryan, welcome to Night Drift. Jim, thank you for having me. Um, I love that description, not afraid to immerse himself into, what was it, life-changing paranormal experiences? Yeah, I've known that about you from day one. Uh, you exhibit a quality to be deeply immersed in the esoteric with everything you do, whether you're driving in your car and you have a crystal where a beverage would be sitting or your brilliant tapestry that's hanging right by you. You're never afraid to really imbue that to a degree that, that I, you know, I'm frankly a little jealous of. Well, I, I find that, I find that charming and funny a little bit that you're, that, you, that you'd be jealous of the chaos that is my life. But um, the, uh, I, I'm, I'm kidding a little bit. Um, <clears throat> not that there isn't chaos in my life, like all of us have, but I'm, I suppose during this, the last four months of deep in, inward self-reflection and which came on the heels of a very dramatic and unexpected to a large degree, life-changing paranormal experience um, or the most recent one, I should say, um, but of a whole different flavor. I have been able to maybe have a better understanding of the machinations and the framework that builds the structure of who it is I am, like my factory, trying to understand what are the conveyor belts inside the factory of Ryan and which products are being prioritized, mm. you know, which sections of the factory 
have been neglected and which have been kept in pretty good shape? And where does our focus need to be moving forward to be able to be exactly like the factory I want to be, right? If we want to stick with that analogy. And it goes to show, we were talking about this before we started recording when we were just kind of rapping and about, like I had this revelation today of if I can stay in the moment, I can be tapping into almost like an endless energy supply. Mm. Um, Cause I always want to take a nap. I always want to lay down. I always want to sit. Um, but I had that revelation today and then while I was writing and then I did a podcast and then I went hiking for a couple hours and now I just got back, ate something real quick. Now we're doing this. And after we do this, I don't know what I'm going to do, but like, I feel so jacked up. And I also don't want to, you know, go too far with it necessarily and be like, you know, I don't want to, cause then I'm like, am I on some kind of weird like bender of like, I don't want to go on an energy bender, but the, understanding who I've been and like I have changed in the last four months. I have dramatically changed since quarantine started. Mm. I feel like I've become more mature in multiple ways, but one of them mostly financial um, as I've clawed myself out of credit card debt almost completely mm. um, during these last four months by a wow. very strict budget and a Congratulations. Diet. Thank you. A monetary diet, you know? Um, but I realized how I was being loose I realized I was being really loose mm. with my money. Didn't even realize it. All the, you know, these past, my whole life. And that's a big realization for me, being loose. I've always been pretty loose with um, boundaries. And uh, even when there's fear involved, because of the story, right? Like, I want to get the first and foremost... I've been just obsessed with like, where's the story? Can I get the story? And I've always felt as a performer that I was going to be willing to live a life that maybe lacked certain things mm -hmm. that other people get to have and strive for because I had to be out there like a rogue storyteller sponging up experiences so I could come back and report them to everybody else who couldn't live that life of solitary travel sure. and extreme experiences. Yeah. And after almost 18 years of stand up, I'm now I'm like, I'm now I'm like, am I fucking tired, man? Like, am I fucking exhausted? of being alone, right? Of, of the isolation and the constant travel. And, and I don't think I am in a way of like being like, oh, I'm done with all this. But what I've realized is the looseness of my boundaries has put me in situations like when I was in Florida um, for uh, the idea was we were going to be shooting a doc. I was going to be part of a documentary that was shooting down there. And, I just went like when I was asked to do this documentary, I didn't think twice. I was like, I'm in that was sold to me as like the skinwalker of the South. Mm. So I was like, I'm in, I'll do whatever I have to do. And there was no money. I mean, I was like all on my own dime. I mean, I don't know how much money I spent, but I didn't have money really at the time to be doing it. But I was like, I am not missing this opportunity. Right. Sure. And I think that's like, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be in situations like that where I can make those kind of decisions. 
because of the life I've worked very hard to build for myself over the last 20 years. So, um, but it would serve me well now moving forward. I realize to exhibit a little more caution when it comes to the big things. Mm. I'm never going to take myself out of this sponge game, right? Trying to experience and, and soak up these experiences that other people just for whatever reason, aren't able to go have them or try to have them. And I still do feel like it's my job to go out there and, you know, put myself in these crazy situations or live this life that's maybe a little less mainstream mm. so I can report it to other people. And so they might, because they don't get to live it, they can come to a show and listen to me explain, right? Or tell the story. And it's like, and if I'm doing my job correctly, they feel like they were there. So they get to have these experiences, like the experience in Florida that we're going to talk about a little bit. And guess what? You didn't have to go to Florida to get it, hopefully. And you still feel like you had it, but you still got the, you know, your partner and your kids in your house. You know, you don't have to be yeah. <laughs> my age living in an apartment, you know, still and, you know, traveling all the time. And you, so you can have it all, right? I want you to have your cake and eat it too. Mm. So, because um, sometimes it's, it's much more fun to, bake a cake for somebody than it is to eat a cake. Right. Right. Well, in, in some circumstance, it seems as if there is a level of sacrificing you believe you go through in order to bring back these stories to the tribe, for lack of better term. That's interesting that you bring that up because I think that is at the heart of it. And I, I mean, it's just my nature. Like I frame my worlds. I framed my future worlds at a very young age. I was 10 years old and I'm scraping ice off a windshield of my dad's car in the driveway in Dayton, Ohio. And I'm making a decision at 10 years old. I will never live where it's fucking snowing when I'm old enough to get out of here. Right. Right. And here I am living in Southern California. No mistake about that. I decided that when I was 10 years old, right? Whether I realized it or not. Mm-hmm. But like, it's always like these very dramatic declarations that I make just, you know, in the town square of my soul, only to myself. You know what I mean? I'm the guy by the burning trash can inside my own mind, shouting at the different versions of me. The end is nigh. The end is nigh. And I'm like, shut up. I know, man. We're all in the fucking, we're all in this together. And uh, there's nobody else here to listen to you scream. You can just kind of tell me, man. Um. But it's like, I had to get your attention, you know. So it's, I've always enjoyed the dramatics of that. So I've always made dramatic statements, right? Um, and so sacrifice resonates with me when you say that. Like, I have to make a sacrifice to go out and get these stories. When in reality, I'm just, I've been given the opportunity to pursue the things I love and travel as a part of that. And, you know, there's no real sacrifice unless we frame it in our minds that there has to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been thinking about this quite a lot because before this lockdown occurred, I was living my absolute dream. And there were times when I felt sort of guilty about it. And I felt myself framing ways to to make myself feel as if I was sacrificing something too. And I really started thinking about how much of that was just early programming as a kid. 
just like you, you know, sort of making uh, these statements that were larger than yourself that then you found yourself committing to. I started trying to figure out what was the beginning of all this? What was the, what was the origin of me feeling like I had to justify, you know, sort of the life that I was living? And I think, I think creating a little bit of a code, right? Or, you know, sort of focusing in, uh, dedicating yourself to the work maybe is what I found, you know, dedicating myself to, to finding the story and, and to bring that back and communicating it. Uh, taking myself out of it as much as I could, but leaving enough to communicate to the listener these stories from other people. And really, I think at the end of the day, taking myself away from the um, taking myself away from the equation as much as possible to let others speak. What I find interesting about your entire philosophy, though, and, and, and a lot of it, well, all of it I really love, was talk about statements you start every single one of your shows with a statement that it's more fun to believe. And I've always wondered really what was behind that. And I've always wanted to ask you to unpack that statement because at face value, of course, it's more fun to believe. But I wonder, originally, was it maybe a little different than what you feel about it now? Uh, well, I don't know if anyone's asked me that. Um, I remember, I can remember back. I can remember back to when I started the Mindcast. I remember because my desk was right here where this mural is, to my right. Um, and I was hand-drawing artwork because it was the first episode was going to be released on a new moon. And uh, I believe it was in January, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I just remember sitting there thinking to myself, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Um, I do know that whatever this thing turns itself into, I really hope somewhere at the bottom of it all, I can just maybe talk to or meet one other person who's a shapeshifter. Mm. Right? I just wanna I just wanna know that she's not alone, right? It's not about me being alone. I was like, because I already knew I wasn't. But I was like, there's no way I don't want I don't want her to be alone in this, right? Whether she realizes it or not. Um, and then, like, I had to believe that it was possible. And that, in fact, not only was it possible, it was already true. I just didn't realize it yet. And the idea that it's more fun to believe, to me, is it's a fun statement. And I think it's catchy. And... You know, and we've been saying it for six years, over six years since the beginning. And it's, it's a great way to capture the essence, I think, of, 
the spirit of what I'm going for, but more so than that. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's kind of been like a life preserver for me. Mm. And Hmm. I'm not exactly sure why I'm feeling emotional right now as we talk about this, but I am. Um, But, you know, so obviously there's something there, but you know, there's like, because if it's not more fun to believe, then you're kind of screwed, man. Like, and, and by you, I mean me. So it, there's a way, I mean, anybody who's into the paranormal or the esoteric or have had, you know, supernatural mystical experiences that they can't use the scientific method to explain or even quote unquote common sense to explain. Everyone knows that tug of war that goes inside of us about have I have I come unhinged? Have I lost it? Is, you know, and sometimes I talk about it almost romantically, like, Oh, is this the moment I've lost my mind? And it can almost have a romantic hue to it. But at the end of the day, when you are experiencing that in the moment of now, and you're having a moment where you think you may be becoming unhinged, quite frankly, for me, it's terrifying. Um, And I don't, I don't seek those moments out. Those moments happen to be a byproduct, it turns out, of, you know, diving headfirst into exploring the unknown. And Florida is a good example of that. We were having the, I was having a really great time. I'd never done a five-day, five-night um, straight exploration or investigation at a location that I was completely unfamiliar with, with mostly people I had never met before. Um, I had only met one of the people, uh, Ed Brown was the only person I knew going into that. I make friends pretty quickly and pretty easily. So, um, it's, I wasn't worried about that, but, and then it was, I think that, you know, the third, the third night, um, or no, the fourth night, it was the fourth night we were there when I had the, you know, a horrifying experience of being alone outside in the dark after midnight, making a very short walk from uh, a place called the Sugar Shack to the main house where I was going to continue a paranormal investigation by myself that I had been conducting earlier in the evening um, at the house where Bill and Carolyn, the homeowners, live uh, in, in Florida. Because I was going to sleep in a room called the Dream Chamber that night where people had in, intense, incredible, unexplainable experiences in the Dream Chamber room, which was one of their guest rooms. And I had been staying in the Sugar Shack, is what they called this little shed, with Ed uh, up until that point. I go down, we walk down, I grab my notebook, I grab my toiletry bag. Um, so, because I mostly needed my notebook because I wanted to be able to take notes about whatever was going to happen in the dream chamber. And for the record, I should say I wasn't like super excited about sleeping in the dream chamber where the craziest dreams of people's lives happen. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, one of a daughter of Bill and Carolyn, uh, I think it was like two or three years previous woke up in the middle of the night because of something in the dream chamber and had never come back to their house again. This was their daughter. Mm. Like, I'm not coming back. Woke up in the middle of the night, like four in the morning, and left. 
even left some of her bags behind to where they had to go. They had to get them to her later. They had to like go take her things to her. I mean, she wanted out mm. of that room of that house. So that has a little bit different feel than the come into the dream chamber. You're going to have the craziest dream of your life. No, it's, you know, I won't go see my parents at their home anymore because of what happened in the dream chamber yeah. kind of level stuff. So, so I'm excited, but the one thing I really found out about myself when I started doing paranormal investigations, cause I'm, I scare very easily. I'm very, I'm a very scared person. Mm. Like I, I couldn't watch scary movies as a kid because I'd have nightmares. Um, I still don't like watching scary movies today. Like I still haven't watched Midsummer, which I need to watch, but it's been out for a couple of years. I can't bring myself to watch it, especially not alone. You're, pro- you're probably okay. 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 That's good to know. Hereditary, it, it, it messed with me so deeply for a while. So like, anyway, but the one thing I learned through paranormal investigations, because before you do them, you never know. And I'm, I scare so easily at movies and things like that. I'm like, will I be the person who can go into the room by themselves? with all the lights off, with like a recorder or a camera with no light because we heard something. Right. And I, I didn't know if I could do it until my very first paranormal investigation. Yeah. And there was a room nobody wanted to go into. And I said, I'll go. And it's almost like I'm not noticing who said that in the moment. Wait, no, you oh. can't even... You weren't even allowed to watch the, the Thriller music video as a kid. Now you're going to go into this. Right. <laughs> so, and I went in because I was so excited about what I might find in there. And I went in there by myself and I was fine. And so I realized in that moment, like I can, oh, okay. I can, there's, I can keep doing this, right? Because I didn't know if I was going to be getting like deep into it or, or if it was just going to, you know, pop in here and there, maybe go to a haunted house every once in a while, that kind of thing. My buddy Alex Mistretta, he and I will go on little road trips where there's like potential creature things happening, usually during the daytime. Um, like, the, uh, like the Black Eyed Kids. Have you heard of them? Sure, sure. Uh, we were out at the Santa Monica compound about a year and a half, year and a half ago looking – uh, seeing if we could see any evidence of, of the children. Um, but it was in that moment that I realized like, oh, I, I, I want to keep doing this. For whatever reason, this is much different for me than watching a scary movie. Sure. Even, it's weird because it's not real and I'm terrified and don't want to watch it. And then I put myself into real situations, at least what I believe to be real, and I don't have that same fear. Right. Well, you know, I'd suggest that there's a different quality to those experiences. I mean, I think with a horror film, you're asked to pay witness to these events that are completely outside of yourself. And frankly, you have no control for what you are about to be subjected to. Whereas in a physical location, uh, albeit maybe your life or sanity or soul in some situations is at line. Something is clearly at stake. At least 
in that scenario, you really do have yourself in that situation. And there has to be something about at least maybe your understanding or respect for the subject material that informs your presence within that space, right? It probably allows you to surprise yourself in terms of how brave you can really be when facing very real phenomenon. Yeah. I think what you, you touched on a very good point. Intention. Mm. Going in. Because I never go into a paranormal investigation trying to be like, I never go in like trying to be a big boss. I never go in there trying to boss around anything as far as like spirits or entities like, Oh, I'm here to, I'm going to get it. Whatever is going on in here. I'm going to round it up. I'm going to capture it. I'm going to get it. Sure. I own you. Yeah. Right. Entity energy. Um, I've tried my best anyway to always have a very specific intention that gets set beforehand. And uh, Darcy, who's in here tonight, we've actually, um, she actually went, uh, she helped out on a paranormal investigation in Orange County, California with my buddy Karen Rontowski. Gosh, I guess it's about a year and a, a little, you know, a year and a half ago now. Well, not a year, maybe a little over a year ago. It was the last thing I did before I went to Florida. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, just over a year ago. So, and you know, we we tried our best to really make sure everybody who came down to join us as we led a uh, paranormal investigation in this you know historically haunted house, like really set the right intention, like out loud, and, and make sure everybody was on the same page with that. That we weren't here to like capture some ghosts or whatever. We were here to if we were lucky enough, be given the privilege of being made aware of, of them, uh, that they would share with us uh, if we were lucky enough. So, yeah. And, and so that like, it ties into like, it's more fun to believe. I mean like that, that is also a, it's like a frame of mind. It's like a motto. It's a slogan. It's all these things. But at the end of the day, it is, it's like I said, it's like a, it's a lifeline for me. It's, it's a life jacket in those moments where I feel like I've really lost my mind. And it, it takes me sometimes a little bit to come back to it when it, cause it doesn't always like work as like a, it's not like penicillin for a paranormal fright. Like after I had what I had, when I experienced by myself, a scream of an unknown creature coming from behind me about 30 yards behind me, if I had to guess of a noise I've never heard before. And I hope to never hear again. Mm. And then um, the physical reaction that my body had in that moment was unlike any horror or terror I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. It's not like I, I hear that. I have the life scared out of me almost, and I'm running as fast as I can up this driveway, hoping it's not right behind me. In the back of my mind, I'm not thinking, it's more fun to believe, you know? <laughs> In that moment, I'm thinking, what has your belief gotten you into? Yes. Right? right? And these boundaries, the looseness of your boundaries. I mean, I broke a rule. 
I broke one of the, there was, I think, two or three rules we had in that documentary. Mm-hmm. I was breaking one of them. The rules were you can never be alone on the property without one of the armed security guards. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially at night, um, if the guards aren't around, you can just never be alone by yourself. Wow. I was alone at night on the property. Um, and it didn't even occur to me that I was. Um, I had a almost a full-on meltdown, um, trembling, panic, tears, crying, unable to really speak, uh, unable to sleep for the most part for those next two nights mm. um, until I left the property. Even during the daytime, I didn't feel comfortable walking to my car and the idea of driving down this long driveway to get off the property through the, like the trees and stuff horrified me. Yeah. Um, cause the next night Ed was walking back down to the sugar shack. He was going to go by himself and Carolyn and I were there. So he was going to walk downhill down this little driveway. So Carolyn grabs a shotgun so we can watch him walk down. And I was like, you know what? Um, we're going to stay on the walkie-talkie with me this whole time you're walking. So we're on the walkie-talkie. He just leaves our vision of sight, and it's dark out. And then all of a sudden, I hear him say, you know, it's like through the walkie-talkies. I was like, He's like, I think I hear voices. That's what I heard. He says, I think I heard voices. And then... I say, Ed, Ed, what? You think you heard voices? Walkie-talkies go dead. This is the next night. So 24 hours later, I, f- I lose it, right? I'm like, the walkie-talkie just went dead. I mean, he's probably 70, 80 yards, 90 yards away at the most. And I'm just, and I, f- I lose it. I think all of the worst things, right? Um, Carolyn's like, Ed, Ed. You know, and uh, it's like, I'm not here, you know, he gets in. I, I, and then this whole time, as soon as the walkie-talkie is dead, I find myself instinctually, without realizing it, I'm backpedaling in the dark towards the front door. Mm. I couldn't even handle being outside. Mm. And I get back into the house even before Carolyn turns around to, like, start coming back to the house. Because I couldn't, I couldn't take it. Physically, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. And... I did sleep a little better that second night, still not great. Um, and then I took off and drove back to California as quickly as I possibly could starting the next afternoon. Mm. And very shortly after that, I, or soon after that, I, I started going to see a PTSD therapist yeah. uh, who specializes in PTSD. I couldn't, I had to sleep with all my lights on, like it was one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, I, I had a very difficult time being in any situation where it was dark at all after that. Yeah. Um, and it's been over a year now cause it was June of 2019 and I'm doing much better. Um, you know, I've had two therapists actually, one of them specifically for that and another for just another thing, but it's been very helpful to have two sessions a week, you know, for me. Yeah. I mean, I tell people, I was like, you know what? I could have used therapy a long time ago, but it took Bigfoot to get me through the door, you <laughs> right. know? So thank God for Bigfoot. Right. right. But 
ultimately, at the end of the day, Tommy Durant, who's a paranormal cons uh, consultant, some people would call him a demonologist. He doesn't like calling himself out. He's got knowledge that I'm not even sure where it came from. You know what I mean? Like, he was uh, a mentee to at least one, if not multiple, you know, mentors that I'm not, I don't know who they are. Mm. And it's not really information that he offers up, right? Because it's not for everybody, I guess. Right. Luckily, I met him through, because he's very good friends with Karen Ontowski. And so I know him through, through that and for the last few years. And so luckily I was, I was able to, you know, rely on him during this time as well. And I would call him about advice and like, I mean, I don't know what's going on what's going on, what's happening. And he told me, here's what you can take away from this. Your body physically and your mind emotionally and, you know, through the emotional intelligence now that you've gathered from this experience, you now are a finely, well, finely tuned or not, tuned up at least to some degree, a thermometer or barometer for this energy, mm. for this experience. Because mm. I'll never forget what it felt like in my heart and in my stomach and also in my mind Yeah, in the moment of hearing that scream, that noise, when you feel like you are truly going to die. Yeah. Um, I, I know that now. So that experience has given me an invaluable gift moving forward into the future. If I'm ever in a situation now where that same physical sensation starts coming up inside me, I know exactly what to do, and that's GTFO. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get out. Um, or at the very least, I'm prepared for it. Right. Right? I'm prepared for what might happen next to some degree. Okay. Now, I'm glad to have that in my toolbox now. I'm glad because I know when I can, now I know when I need to get out of somewhere. Or, you know, maybe give a heads up like, okay, everybody, something not good is here. Right. We need to pay attention and, uh, you know, be very careful what we're doing here. So I got that from that experience. And, and like, it's not until like hindsight kind of kicks around in my life. And I, I just, I've always had this, it's not a problem, but it's just like a thing that happens for me until like somebody like you says, Oh, you immerse yourself in these weird, potentially life-changing paranormal experiences all the time. Like I don't realize the accumulation of like certain events in different areas of my life that I've been, you know, privy to that I've had. Um, cause when I, you know, cause when you start and I don't, I, I'm not a, I don't take a lot of inventory, you know, and like reflect time to reflect on my life, you know, cause I'd like to think I'm very far from my deathbed. But when I start stacking up all the different paranormal experiences I've had and, you know, sought out and then a couple didn't ask for, even though I've never had a full apparition ghost appear in front of me or that I've ever seen. But when I start stacking them all up, I start thinking to myself, well, there's a lot of action here, right? <laughs> like yeah. there's, but I never really take time to sit and think about it. Well, for, for you in particular as well, yes, there are your experiences. 
yes, there are these investigations that you've really made a big part of your life now. There's these occurrences that have happened to you over the years that have informed perhaps your belief system and or your interest and intrigue in in the subject material. But if you look at the feed of me and Paranormal You, and you look at the amount of your mind casts and your 30-year bonuses, you're also just, you just also have a lot of material flowing through you. You're digesting so much content in terms of books and other podcasts and theories and ideas. I think way more than most people that I know, even deeply involved in the esoteric. So I imagine that at the end of the day, since you're not taking a sort of an inventory, you really have amassed this huge amount of resource material that whether you're recalling it consciously or subconsciously, it's got to be somewhere in there, man. I mean, I, you know, I listen to your show and every week it's like, well, you know, there's this new book that I'm reading and, you know, let me just read this excerpt right now. And then this is how I internalize that. And this is what I think about it. And every week it's usually a different book or a different topic in a way that isn't fundamental, isn't a news story or a wrap up, isn't shooting the shit about something. You're deeply concerned about what this subject material means not just in terms of its implications for the broader populace, but what are the implications for you personally? And so, you know, seeing you now go out into the field in a big way, which is a more recent thing, correct? Then in that situation, you are carrying a lot with you. (laughs) Whether you're realizing you have expectations uh, or not, I think you're right, and Darcy mentions it here in the chat, that your intention seemingly has been so important because at least there is a valve to this well of material that you have stored up in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul, in your intentions. At least there is a focus there that can help protect you a little bit. But what I want to ask you now is in relationship to that experience down in Florida. Is that a place where you ever see yourself going back? Because the first time we chatted about it, you had not even been able to start verbalizing what happened. You were, you know, and then I didn't ask. This is actually the first time that I've actually heard most of this story because even when you've mentioned it on your show, I've turned it off because I've wanted to hear it sort of face to face with you. Oh, but is oh, it a place? Okay. Is it is a place that you feel like you now maybe have the tools to reapproach, or do you think because of the state of post-traumatic stress that you found yourself in because of it, is it safer in this situation to back away from it, at least for now? Well, I'll be honest. I, like all, like all beautiful things, it, it, it's changed in the last year. Mm. And I'm glad you brought this up because you're one of the first people I talked to when I got back to California. And I don't know if you remember what happened when I called you Um, specifically. I call you and you answer the phone as you always do. And 
I say, what's up, man? And you're like, oh, wow, man. I was like, dude, I got some. And you're like, what's going on? Like, my picture frame just fell off the wall as soon as, like, the phone started. Or was it when you, when the phone was right when you picked up? I, I pick up, and this 18 by 24 framed gig poster essentially falls down. The glass breaks. And oh, it was secured it was with a shattering. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, a shattering. Yeah, it was, it was uh, secured with a, with, with a heavy mount, and it happened right as you called at that point in time. The, yeah, coincidence, I, the yeah. coincidence of that was not lost on me. Yeah, because it was, I think what we both took away from it at the time was like, I've got some wild energy attached to me right now. Like unbridled, yeah, chaotic, um, I mean, very apropos that that thing was shattered. I currently was in pieces. Yeah. At the time of that phone call, I was that shattered glass inside. I, my psyche, my frame of mind, everything. Um, I didn't know up from down. And about a month after our return, and for people who aren't familiar with the story, sorry, I kind of glossed over pretty quickly, but That's okay. uh, this was a, a location in Florida, like I said, which was described as the Skinwalker Ranch of the South with creature sight, multiple different types of creature sightings. We're talking Bigfoot, uh, potentially even Dogman, which most people are like, we'll check out on Dogman, and I used to be one of those people. <laughs> I used to be one of those people until I saw a thermal image of this head of a creature that we caught out in a giant field out in the woods, which I don't even want to think about. Um, Cause you never hear good stories about the dog man taking care of a child that was lost in the woods. That's like big food stuff. You never hear about a benevolent dog man. And some of these guys that were part of the security detail, we're talking men, 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 right? Like man's man, like, you know, forest ranger or like a you know tracks animals like man and he told me he's like i hope i never see a dog man i was like what he goes because i know it'll break me this was like the toughest man i've ever met in my life who i'm still friends with uh who is like such a great guy um but dan butler is his name he's amazing anyway about a month or so after we get back from Florida, I've been, I get a phone call from Ed Brown saying that we have an opportunity to maybe return to the property. And he was being sensitive to me when he asked me um, and, and knew that I probably, he didn't know if I'd want to go or not, but he was very excited about the opportunity to go back. And I told him flat out, I was like, there's no, because uh, the Bill and Carolyn who lived there, were going to be going to Europe for like a couple weeks. So we were going to be able to go to the property and like house sit. And I told him flat out, I was like, if Carolyn is not there, I will not go to that house. Mm. Carolyn's like a very powerful witch, uh, Merovingian bloodline. Something about her makes me feel safe. Um, if she's not in that home protecting it, I will not go there. And that stands even now. Over a year later, I won't return to that house unless she's on the property. I will go back to the property now and there's actually some discussion about it as we speak, trying to figure out when to go back. Um, and it looks like if not by the end of this year, it's going to be early next year. We're going back to the property. 
At the very least, I'm going back to the property to visit. I will not stay overnight in the house or on the property. I'll probably get a hotel um, in town. Um, as a matter of fact, I know I'll get a hotel. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be coy about it. There's no way I'm sleeping in that fucking house. Yeah. I don't know if I should be dropping up bombs, Jim, but yeah, um, there's no way I'm sleeping in there. At least not yet. Maybe next year. Maybe like a year from now, I'll think about sleeping in the house again. I am in communication with Carolyn quite regularly uh, through email. We we chat. Um, she updates me. There's still activity happening. There's a another in paranormal investigation team that goes to that property quite regularly, at least a few times a year. That uh, we're not allowed to like really talk about who they are. Um, so, but just know that they can go wherever they want, whenever they want. So that pretty much you pretty much know what we're talking about. They were there, and um, or at least one of them was there back out there in April. So just a few months ago. Uh, back out on the property, continuing to study. Uh, we're talking about interdimensional portals is the main focus of their study, as far as I know, that are on the property. Mm. One of them a natural portal, and one of them created in the mind through the, through the what I believe to be incredibly powerful psychokinetic powers of Carolyn's mind. Hmm. Because they have told her that she created one of the portals on the property with her mind. Interesting. And creatures come out of her portal to protect them from the creatures coming out of the other portal. Now, this is really like jumping off into like science fiction, like right. really large leaps of faith are needed here when you hear these stories. And But there's UFO sightings, there's orbs, there's creatures, there's interdimensional portals. There are research teams coming out to the property with heavily armed security teams. We're talking, uh, you know, assault rifles, the whole thing. Um, Has anyone else there at the property been physically injured or even emotionally injured in the way that, that is similar to what you experienced? I mean, outside of Carolyn... Bill, the husband, he's kind of a big guy. And so the kind of the working theory is that like, he's kind of an intimidating physical presence mm. to the point where, you know, when it comes to like the laws of nature and how animals react with each other, his size might help him out a little bit. Carolyn's tiny. Yeah. Did tiny, you feel there was a um, animalistic quality to that place? You, yes. you mentioned it's it's chaos. It's it's uh, but but sort of a an uncaged animal type of feeling. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you this: the moment I arrive on the property, going in, I believe that we're all going to be camping out in tents on the property. That's what I've been kind of led to believe. The moment I get there. I step outside of my car and also for the record, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful terrain. Gorgeous. It was devastated by hurricane Michael. Mm. Um, a lot of, a ton of felled trees everywhere still doesn't detract from just how beautiful, um, the landscape is there and the property. They got about 30 plus acres where they built their dream home and he's an architect He's actually an architect for the state of Florida, still working, you know, for the state. Of, so he works for like the government and like building, like designing buildings and stuff. 
it was beautiful. Like the moment I stepped out, I was like, this is gorgeous. And then I also was like, this is the wild, wild west. You know what I mean? Uh, like a paranormal. Like I, I, and going in, I'd heard all these stories. So maybe I was set up for it, but I, I'm standing on the property and it's daytime and I'm feeling like, wow, this is, this is a legit spot. You can feel it. Right. And so walked around during the daytime with Ed and this uh, couple other people on our first just general walk around, kind of getting to know each other and introduce ourselves. And it's like daylight, it's like two 30 in the afternoon. And I'm already creeped out mm. <laughs> like in the daytime. Right. And walking through the woods already. I am on full tilt because something is there, right? Like you feel it. And then not to mention all the evidence we got while we were there, you know, we cast a, we cast, we cast a footprint. Uh, there was a giant X structure, which is significant in the Bigfoot community. Uh, they believe that large X structures with like trees or large branches are symbols of boundaries. Kind of like when you see a note, you know, beware of dog or no trespassing sign on someone's front door. Um, that's basically the equivalent to it, like marking their territory. Like this is where our territory starts. I mean, we're talking two giant trees that no, that weren't even touching the ground, but were positioned in a way. Now, granted, you could say Hurricane Michael was just there a year and a half earlier, but it's like these two things. It was anyway. Right. Yeah, so we don't know intelligent about design. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there seemed to be some kind of intelligent design there. Who knows? But <clears throat> I'm not an expert on that either. But I will say this: there's no doubt about it. That just on being on the property and then seeing, talking to Carolyn, um, you know, and her showing you other footprints that they've cast. And one of them was one of the footprints they cast on the property. It literally was so big that it makes you never want to sleep again at night. Just from looking at the cast of this footprint, enormous. And then the stories about other people who have come to the property and the experiences they've had and how they'll never come back. Do do you remember uh, any more of those experiences that uh, during the day sort of frightened you or surprised you? Or, you know, sort of... I forget what day it was. I think it was maybe the third day. I think it was the third day. Myself, Dan Lindholm, uh, who's great. Actually, Dan Lindholm and I just wrote, we actually just finished um, the, uh, it's like 99.9% done. We want one, we're going to make one. We we were sitting around the campfire one day at the property down by the sugar shack and his son was there. He's a photographer. was one of the, you know, guys filming and Dan and his son are both musicians. So they both had their guitars out and we were riffing, a Bigfoot song. And we've got the finished version now. We've been working on it during quarantine, going Very back and nice. forth. So we've got a, a Bigfoot song. Uh, yeah, so I'll have to send it to you because we think it's great. Yeah, can't wait. Very catchy, we think. Um, anyway, so Dan Landon was there, my, and Dan Butler and myself, the three of us, were on this like neighboring property that we had full access to. Nothing but woods. Nothing but woods. And some open open fields. Um and we hear something really loud in the distance, like a giant tree falls or something, right? We hear it in the distance. And this is when I learned like what it means to go squatching, 
mm. like full on squatching. You hear a noise or you hear something scary, you run at it. That's what someone who's looking for Bigfoot does. That's not how I live my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? So next thing you know, Dan and Dan are booking it towards the noise. And so I just start, I'm not going to be left behind, even though it's daytime. I'm not going to be left all by myself in the middle of the, this like wooded area. So I'm running with them. We got the camera. We're trying to get the cameras going. We're trying to get the recording devices happening. Now we're chasing what we believe is a large creature of some kind through the woods. We're on a foot chase and we keep hearing other noises as if something is moving away from us mm -hmm. through the woods. And we just keep going and running. Now we're down into a creek area. Now we're running through more wooded area, trying to in fanning out just a little bit. Um, they were fanning out more than I was. I was sticking by one of them pretty much the whole time. And eventually all the noise stopped. And so we stopped and just we never, never heard another noise. Like the next 30 minutes, we just sat there and there was no birds chirping. There was nothing. And like it was eerily silent, you know? And it's like we're outside in the woods. Why is there not even a sound so after a half an hour we're like it's gone or it's it's somewhere we're not going to find it whatever this thing was and who knows what it was right we'll be right back with ryan singer and patron calls here on night drift presented by euphemed follow euphemed on spotify and subscribe on itunes to receive new episodes of night drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Drifting further into the night, we are back here with Ryan Singer. If you'd like to be a part of this live conversation series, your next chance is this Monday, August 3rd, when Vice's UFO reporter MJ Benias joins us to disclose the state of UAP in America. After the release of two more UFO articles this month by the New York Times, what else have we learned about what the Pentagon may know, and what are they doing about it? That's Monday, August 3rd at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Find out how to join us live at patreon.com slash euphemetic. Have you had an experience with a UFO? Ghosts? Maybe a wild randonautica trip? Has your life been changed by the unknown? Do you have a story you think would make a great euphemet feature documentary? If so, please get in touch at jim at euphemet.com. All right. Let's get back to our conversation with Ryan Singer here on Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. You know, Ryan lives in Los Angeles right now, but that was not always the case, and he's very familiar with uh, being in the woods. Yeah, for sure. I grew up in southern Ohio and back in Dayton, and before my uh, neighborhood was built up, I guess, as a kid, which it's all like change now but when i was a kid like we had a lot of woods and so i was playing you know that was our summer that's how we spent our summer playing in the woods 
Yeah. Uh, so I'm very familiar with that. I spent a lot of time on a farm, my grandparents' farm, and uh, very rural Ohio uh, as well. So a lot of experience being outdoors, for sure. Uh, never hunted, but do have a ton of experience being out in the woods and, you know, rivers and creeks and things like that. Um, and in those situations, uh, you can feel there's a, there's a feel to these spaces that is unquestionable, especially places that otherwise should feel familiar and, and almost safe. I know the feeling you're, you're speaking of, but what I guess I'm interested in is at that moment, this seems like it was setting a stage for a very wild couple days. You, you find yourself probably a little bit out of breath in some goalie somewhere with two folks that are little more than strangers in the daytime, but sort of deep in the woods, perhaps chasing a Sasquatch or two or a dog man or whatever it may be, whatever these stories may have informed you to expect through this situation. Did you have an inclination? Did you have any sort of inclination at that point that this place was different and you should be prepared in some other way that maybe you think you weren't. Yeah, I, it started really dawning on me. <laughs> I had never gone full on, like like I said previously, five day, five night, squatching, like out in the woods, camping out, looking for Bigfoot, stuff like that. I, you know, I'd done the paranormal stuff. It was mostly inside locations yeah. trying to establish contact. So this was, this was all new for me. It was a crash course. I'd spent some time in Lake Arrowhead hanging out very late at night after midnight. Uh, myself, Ed Brown, Claudia Ackley and Alex Mistretta spent about three and a half, four hours in a location uh, after the sun went down with lawn chairs, uh, recorders and, cameras and things like that and flashlights uh, of, uh, at the exact location where she had a Sasquatch sighting with her two teenage daughters, mm. uh, multiple Sasquatch in Lake Arrowhead in, in the Twin Peaks area, I believe very spread out, very mountainous, very rural. Um, so we spent about three and a half, four hours in pitch black sitting out in the middle of the mountain. Um, that was my first time squatching. We didn't really, we thought we heard a couple things here and there, but Nothing really, right? And so then I don't know at two in the morning or one thirty or whatever time it was, we we got our flashlights and packed up and walked back to the car. But um, but this was different for sure. Like at that location, even though I'm convinced there have been uh, you know Bigfoot, Sasquatch at that exact location where I was sitting, even though I'm convinced there was because of my relationship with Claudia. Um, it still didn't feel like this place in Florida felt. Yeah. And it's, there's something going on there that I'm not, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but I do know that there's a lot of people who are interested in it. And, and the fascinating part is they don't know what's going on either. Yeah. And that's why they're there studying the place. They are, Everybody's playing catch up, man. And I'm not trying to be scary here, but 
here's the here's the big takeaway for me, the biggest takeaway from Florida that I got from the whole thing. Outside of my own personal experience and the implications and all that stuff, big picture macro, there are interdimensional portals located in certain places around the earth, right? This is just what I believe. I don't have evidence for this. And there are governments, people in positions of power who are honing in on these locations, right? And they're aware of them. And, you know, one might even argue that they go and study them. Uh, Other paranormal researchers uh, go and study them. But that means that if there's a, if there's an interdimensional portal on Bill and Carolyn's property, that means that there's portals other places. And it goes back to me starting the Mindcast. Can I find someone else who can shapeshift? There's no way it's a one, one-time deal, right? Um, there's no way this is the only one. So that's just the way I believe. It's more fun to believe, right, that there's more. Yeah. Well, so, and no. if this is true, what else can be true? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it, you know, those portals, the, 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 the idea that they can't exist in this phenomenon that you found yourself confronted by. If that is true, what else is true in a way that is a portal right there. That's a portal into the unknown. That's a portal into possibility of what these things could be. I think right now, let's go ahead and go over to chat real quick. And then we're going to open lines too. So if you want to chime oh, can in, I say one more thing real quick. Sure. Yeah. Let me put a button on the portal. While while he's putting the button on the portal, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll get to you in a bit. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about the portals were that if it in fact is true, which I believe it is, I would compare Carolyn Bridges to Ted Owens, who is the subject of the book PK Man, written by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove. Mm. I would consider her psychic, her PK ability at that level, from what I can muster and what I can tell. If it's true that she created an interdimensional portal with the power of her mind and was not even aware of it, um, that means people, human beings, can create interdimensional portals with the power of our mind, which for me is an easy leap, understanding what the limitless power of our minds. But she wasn't aware of it. So you take that a step further and you, and you realize, guess what? There probably are people who can do the same thing have figured out how to do the same thing and are aware of it. So what that means is these interdimensional portals, to me, these aren't a finite resource. Mm. So, cause if there's people who can create them with their mind and don't even realize they're doing it, don't even realize that they're there until someone else tells them the other side of that coin is that there are people who know they can do it and they know how to do it. And they're doing it. And what does all that mean? I don't know, man. I really don't know. But that's that's what's really the fascinating part of this endless staircase now. Because everybody else is trying to figure out what the hell's going on. There's no, I don't believe that there's any like secret government agency that has all this figured out. I feel they're just people like us who probably have a lot more resources, but everybody's trying to figure out what is this man? You know, like what are these things? Um, Why do they, why do they occur? Who are these things coming out of them? 
And what business do they have here? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Alex Mistretta here, and these folks should start paying us some coin, right? Start putting us to work <laughs> out there. I mean, I don't know about, uh, you know, I don't know about uh, Special Forces men, but uh, as he listened to thousands of hours of Art Bell every night before he goes to bed, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing, to, I don't know. I, I'm willing to make all these trips on someone else's dime. Right, exactly. Uh, let, let me read some chat here. Darcy comments, it's so interesting. I think you were starting to do some big work before you went. It's almost as if something was trying to thwart you. What do you, what do you say about that? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, as far as like, you know, I'm going back a year in my mind right now. I'm trying to time travel. And you were talking about all the different episodes and, you know, the 500 or whatever episodes I put out. It's like for me to have any recollection whatsoever of anything I've said on any of those, for the most part, it's very difficult for me to think like, oh, I said what? Um, (laughs) But um I know at the time there was a very interesting thing that came through the spirit box on that paranormal investigation that Darcy uh, was helping conduct in Orange County, where if I'm not mistaken, something came through the spirit box when I asked a question about my upcoming trip, because I asked about my upcoming trip to Florida. And it said, uh, a voice came through and said something along the lines of, uh, you need to be careful or you're going to have an accident. Um, I don't know if Darcy is remembers that or not. Um, but as far as like doing big work, <clears throat> I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know exactly like specifically what Darcy's referring to. I do know that there's uh, joining us right now. So she can, uh, she can. Oh, there she Oh, Hey, Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, Jim. It's nice to meet you finally virtually. I know. Nice to finally meet you friend of so many friends. So yeah, right. Friends of friends. And now we're friends. So this yes, is great. Absolutely. Um, to, well, to answer your first question or most recent question, Ryan, you asked a question about like, you know, how is my trip going to go? Or is my trip going to be okay? And the spirit box said something about cars. Uh, and you're like, what? And you're like, I just ha- I have to get my car checked out. And so we were really concerned about your car at the time. That's right. Um, but I think what my point was with the kind of work you were doing is because before that, we had, that is when a lot of the conversations you and I were having, conversations you were having with Jim, conversations you were having with the new curbs, about a lot of the conversations we've all had about problems in the paranormal and how things are moving the problematic uh, thought patterns and uh, the problematic people that we've been encountering uh, in these kinds of conversations where it's like, yeah, it is more fun to believe, and we're trying to investigate, and we're trying to find out these things, really like positive mindsets, as opposed to getting deep into conspiracy and negative and racist and anti-Semitic and homophobic ways. So you were doing a lot of that work at the time. Hmm. And uh, because you have another podcast, uh, it's all around the time, too, you're starting to figure out your empathic abilities. So all of these, like, doors are, like, opening, right? And it's like, you've been an empath your whole life. Like, that's just, that's there. 
Um, but at the same time, like, I think you were starting to move in these like new ways because like, I remember when you left that investigation, like, I'll see you in a month. We're going to talk. I can't wait to hear what you got all these things. And then everything changed. Yeah. Everything changed. Cause I remember talking to you, like, like messaging you, like, are you okay? Do you need to talk? What can I do? So it's just, it's just interesting to see the kinds of brinks that you've been on and like, I feel like sometimes when we're moving towards positive things or breaking through and things that need to be brought to light, things come in because you very easily could have had that experience, not done the work you've done and just disappeared from this world. No, that is not that I didn't think about it. (laughs) I mean, after an experience like that, I did have a moment more than a few times where I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I remember thinking to myself, I'm a stand-up comedian. What the, what, what the hell has happened here? Like, I'm supposed to be like worrying about booking dates and writing new jokes. And now I can't even sleep with my lights off and I'm 42 years old or however. And I'm just like, what is happening? What's happened to my life? What, did, why did I let my life turn into this? And, um, you know, luckily that, that thought didn't anchor uh, in my mind, but, um, yeah, I definitely had that moment, Darcy, where I was like, yeah, I'm like, you know what? This was a good run. Uh, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't, you know, and I'm glad, listen, I'm glad you sought help. I'm glad you found professional help because I think a lot of times within, especially the paranormal, we get on this head trip where it's like, well, it's all kind of, we start as enthusiasts, right? And we're entertained by this. And then something about the phenomenon wants to play back. And then that game begins and that conversation and that relationship starts without recognizing that no matter if ghosts are real or not in the classical sense, (laughs) there is a relationship that's real within ourselves, right? We're communicating to something, whether that is the abstract ghost the very real metaphysical ghosts or something within our subconscious. Who's to say something is happening. So to clearly recognize that and to keep a foot in consensus reality, I think is so helpful. And I'm so glad that you did that. Let me go ahead. Well, and- well I appreciate that. I, I just got to tell you though, like it's like anybody, anytime I'm not feeling good, I just need to come on this program. <laughs> uh, I feel good about myself. I will say it's been more difficult depending on what circle I'm in. I'm in a lot of different circles socially, I guess, like, you know, cause of my career and everything else. It's almost more difficult to tell people I am in therapy than it is to, than it was to like, just make the step and go start doing therapy. Sure. Um, and I hope that really fucking changes in the future. I, I, I would have thought that it already went away, but there's still a stigma attached to therapy. And then when you start telling people you went to therapy because of a Bigfoot experience, it's a whole nother level, um, you know, for some people. But, um, but luckily, you know, we've got comedy on our side. So it's like I understand how ridiculous it sounds when I tell people I initially got into therapy because of a Bigfoot or a creature experience. But all of the other wonderful benefits of therapy I've had as a result of that. I can't even begin to measure. Yeah. And Darcy, please. Well, and you know, 
talking about that gym and and Ryan, your experience and seeking that out, it's something I thought about that you had mentioned earlier and about boundaries, right? And I think sometimes for those of us who are interested in this world, who explore this world, who go on investigations, who are open to, you know, checking out different belief systems and listening to people's stories and all these things, I think sometimes there comes this idea that we are just supposed to have no boundaries and to not trust our own guts when we walk into a place and go, oh, oh, no, thank you. Oh, I, I will be, I'm gonna, I gotta go. Because it's like, oh, well, you're just, you know, this goes back to brost hunting, right? This whole idea of like, I'm going to tame this. I'm going to control you. This whole kind of aggressive paranormal investigation where, like you were saying earlier, Ryan, like going in, trying to have good intention, trying to really think about respectful ways to enter a space, think about cultural context, historical context. Like for myself as a historian, I'm always thinking about those things. But I think that boundaries is such an important part in any of this, whatever you're exploring, whether that's an investigation, whether that is what you're reading or getting into, because if it doesn't feel good, if it doesn't sit right with you, don't go there. Because it, like, it, it's yourself telling yourself, like, this is betraying who we are. And I think that like so many folks just have this idea that you're supposed to just push through and grin and bear it because you have to have this experience, but you can end up having a really negative, terrible experience that either takes you out of the game and, you know, like, and I'm so glad Ryan that you're, you're talking about the stigma because the stigma is very real around mental health still. But, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so happy that you're getting amazing benefits out of it. Like, I love that. And I love that you are just who you are and you shine through and just go like, yeah, this is what got me, like a big foot got me into therapy. Like, I, I love your light so much. But there's so many folks that will just push through and, and it ends up being very harmful. And I think that's something people really need to be aware of when they're thinking about either their involvement that's already in this space or going into, into those spaces. Yeah. Such a good point. I mean, there needs to be an onus on ourselves and also our community in creating safer space within the paranormal space. Right. And sometimes that is sort of as abstract as the groups that we find ourselves residing in, but also these paranormally active places, these haunted spaces, right? And so it becomes even more prescient. And I think, you know, the stigma, right? The code of conduct, the social construct of it all, the problematic discussions that were not being addressed for so long that now I think, Darcy is right, like at that same time that you were making that approach to investigate this place, you are bringing up a lot of these things and you still do since you've come back. We're seeing some of this ball of wax really melt. We're seeing a lot of these problem areas starting to be addressed and talked about. The one thing I will mention to you in terms of this location though, Ryan, is that please don't think you have to sacrifice yourself for this investigation. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I appreciate you saying that, first off. And secondly, I wouldn't. Um, 
there's no way I, I, I would not, I wouldn't sac if I would never put myself in a position where I thought true, uh, true harm and or danger, uh, would befall on me just so I could like, you know, have another story to tell. Uh, but I think I understand that better now than I used to having experienced it and some of the other takeaways from the experience being that if that thing, at least by the sound of it and in the moment, I physically and intellectually felt that if that thing wanted to dominate me, to injure me, to kill me, whatever, like the food chain, it was above me in the food chain. There was no doubt about it. I felt that primally that it could have and it would have. But the fact that I was not physically harmed, and maybe that's not its game to physically harm people. Uh, maybe it's a mental game. It's a psychological game. Who knows? Um, because there is, there are stories of that property of hearing a, uh, a growl. And the growl is not what I heard. The few people who had heard the growl or a growl on that property in Florida, those people, you might argue those people have been broken. Mm. Uh, and when it comes to their courage or their want or willingness to go investigate this stuff. Carolyn has heard the growl. You asked me earlier if, if anybody's been harmed or injured or whatever on that property. There's a few different men uh, who have come out and, you know, guns are blazing. Uh, and by guns ablazing, I mean like they're all geared up, kind of men's men, former military even, one of them, who heard the growl, instantly broke into tears and never returned to the property and never will. Um, their dog, Ozzy, this beautiful dog, um, heard the growl and uh, was vomiting blood afterwards. Um, Ozzy's like the barometer of trouble there. The last email I received from Carolyn, uh, as she was writing, she wrote, there's actually activity happening as I write this. Um, Ozzy's next to me, trembling. Something like that, right? It was, was written in the email. Um, but they're doing well. She's doing well. Um, but I, I wouldn't go back unless I felt like there was a modicum of safety for me. And it also is one of these things where I have to go back. Yeah. I have to confront it. And I have to show this thing, whatever it was, this phenomena, that this creature, whatever, that, yeah, you got a really good lick in on me. And it nearly broke me. It really nearly did. But I'm not broken because of it. Yeah. Ed Brown gave a talk at... UPARS, which is UFO Paranormal Research Society in Los Angeles, a group I, I, I go and see speeches at. And uh, he talked all about the Florida thing. And it wasn't that long after it happened. It was towards the end of last year, I think. can't remember. And he was doing, he was playing a lot of the evidence that I'd gotten during the paranormal investigation when I was by myself in the house. And just even him talking about the experience itself, I realized at the time, like, the real profound effect on it, because I almost started crying at the meeting, just being in the audience listening to someone else talk about it. Sure. And, you know, that's, so all these different steps and reactions and, 
you know, emotions that I've traveled through since then are similar to what people go through all the time around the world and are oftentimes put in positions where they feel like they cannot tell anyone about these experiences. And me talking about it on the podcast, uh, me talking about being in therapy because of it, you know, I, I guess I was just lucky where I don't care about that. Like, in, you know, being on stage talking about it, for whatever reason, my astrological framework and my buildup and like just the type of person I was raised to be, like, I don't care about if someone thinks I'm crazy. I guess I'm, I guess I'm past that, right? And but what is important to me at, you know, at my core is that other people who might think that they're crazy because everyone tells them they are has the opportunity to even stumble across me talking about it on online or at a live show Yeah, because we're, we're stronger together, you know? Yeah. And so that's the most important thing for me. And that's what drives me. And that will, that, that will continue to drive me. Um, and that's one of the big reasons why I will return to Florida. Yeah. And maybe the second or third time I go back, I'll stay in the house overnight, but or on the property. But in the meantime, I love Bill and Carolyn so much. If you met these people, this science fiction story about interdimensional portals, UFOs, multiple types of creatures, whether they're like night crawlers, Bigfoot, dogmen, whatever, orbs, this science fiction story becomes real because it's grounded in two of the kindest, most real, sweetest people you'll ever meet in your life yeah. who have nothing to gain by making up this, this tale. Yeah. And, and Carolyn more so than Bill has been tormented on that property. And when you see her emotionally express how grateful she is that people are there trying to, capture evidence or understand or tell the world that this stuff isn't crazy. This stuff is real. That's when you realize like, Oh, this is bigger than this is bigger than all of us. And that's why I'll go back for sure. I got to see them again. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you do, you know, and with it is this new gift of a more refined empathy, right? Like deep, deep down. That's the thing about the paranormal that just kind of, it irks me to a large degree that intellectually we can believe and understand all of these phenomena and we 100% believe other people's stories when they tell them to us. And then it's just one of those things where until you experience like a, the, and no phenomena is ever identical, I don't think, but, but until you have that experience it's like a knowing on a different level, kind of, which I think does drive some people to maybe be a little reckless, myself included, to try to have these experiences. So, because you, because you deeply understand that to fully know this, I have to experience it. So I gotta subject myself to it, and there are consequences to that. Yeah, um, and some of them are unintended, but it does foster that deep empathy. But at what cost? right? Um, that's what you have to be uh, honest with yourself about. And that's what I'm trying to be honest with myself about. I never want to see a dog man, dude. Never want to see a dog man. 
Never. And all it took was my buddy Dan Butler saying that he never wants to see one. Guess what? I never want to see one. I don't need to know what that's like. Um, I never need to be face-to-face with a Sasquatch. I don't need that. I don't need it. 200 yards away, oh, look at that. Oh, shoot, look at that. That's a Sasquatch. I'm cool with that. I don't need this thing right in front of my face, dude. I don't need it. <laughs> FaceTime me, Squatch. Right, right, right. FaceTime yeah. me. We don't need Social distance. Social distance, Sasquatch. Social distance. Come on. So um, <laughs> let me uh, – let me thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Um, let me read – some listener comments here. David says, glad to hear another honest discussion about mental health and the paranormal. Huge costs to opening yourself up. Yeah. Yeah, there really is. And I think by talking about it more, by including these within the complex fabric that we weave of the paranormal and the esoteric, including that in there is so important for so long it has been disregarded but i think in that way you know as content creators or storytellers or investigators and researchers at any level you are able to connect with that audience or that you know section of folks that are uninitiated in in a way that is more emotive and more resonant with the quality of this relationship in general also, Greg uh, says, after watching a documentary about missing 411, about hunters, I feel like that there is, that is where they disappear, through portals. That's interesting. Yeah, the, uh, the documentary based on the David Polites books, um, very interesting. I do, it's funny because years ago, I wrote a screenplay, a feature-length screenplay about a guy who was a monster hunter. And... He's his sworn enemy is Bigfoot because, but he doesn't realize that Bigfoot's not his enemy. That Bigfoot was framed by a rival monster hunter, right, uh, and killed his father <laughs> because because this rival monster hunter found the fountain of youth. At the same time, this guy's dad did, and this you should stop. Dad, you stop saying this idea. Someone from trauma is going to take it. And you'll never um, see it. I should try to sell them the script. I mean, I wrote the whole script. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, Bigfoot's protecting the fountain of youth. Um, and then it occurs to me that it's not beyond the scope of my belief in any way, shape, or form that these creatures, Bigfoot or other, could be protecting interdimensional portals, yeah. right? Um, and these hunters from Missing 411 or some of these other people could be stumbling into interdimensional portals. And I think it is possible for sure. Um, It's still tragic in a a deep, deep, deep way to think about that. Um, Because it's one thing to feel lost. It's another thing to feel lost about even where you're lost. I could not imagine being lost in an interdimensional world that I don't recognize. Um, That seems to me to be next level. But um, about the mental health thing, real quick, I did want to add, if the paranormal world wants to be taken seriously, to be considered real, you have to have real discussions and they need to be elevated to where we can talk about mental health 
and we can talk about the problems in the paranormal. Um, and we need to be having these very real discussions through the lens of the paranormal for the paranormal to be considered to have any credibility whatsoever. And I mean, cause we could talk for hours about the legends and the origins and I mean, it's endlessly fascinating. The question becomes moving forward. What do we want to do with, you know, the, the access to platform that we do have um, without shifting who it is we are. Yeah. No one wants to be preached to. Right. No one wants to be talked down to. And none of us, none of us want to be told what to do. Yeah. And so there's that fine line. And I think, you know, for me, it's always been comedy, you know, uh, that kind of takes the edge off. Um, I know on Euphemed for you, Jim, it's just your natural style and the natural empathy that you have and your intuitiveness and also the, the intellect that you use uh, by discussing all these different things from angles I never would even conceive, that it becomes more, it, it's very well-rounded, therefore is absent of that edge inherently, um, which is a gift that you have. Um, so it, it becomes how do we use these platforms moving forward to elevate these discussions without also, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a guy who's been doing stand-up comedy for, you know, 18 years. I love a dip joke just as much as the next person does. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not a, you know, PhD research, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm a guy who loves this shit. And then like, when I talk with someone like you and I actually sit back and think about all the reading and the research and the conversations and the hours and the obsession, it actually appears to me as almost as an obsession when I think of it. <laughs> I didn't want to frame it that way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. believe that, but yeah, yeah. So I'm like, uh, you know, so I do know, I guess a lot in a, in a way, in, in my own way. Yeah. But I would never tell anyone I'm an expert in this stuff. Right. And, um, and nor do I hope to ever feel that way even. Right. Um, yeah. But we do need to elevate the conversations in ways that are, uh, you know, fundamentally helpful to ourselves and to everyone else. And I, I do think it's, there are costs to opening up, but the costs to me seem so... Um, they seem so minimal. The overhead is minimal of these costs when it comes to, uh, you know, how they affect and how they plug into like, I don't know, maybe the mission statement of what it is we want to do with our lives. Yeah. We only get one of these lives that we get to be aware of. Right. right. I mean, I wish I had the awareness of all of my past lives right now in my future lives. I wish I do. Right. But I only get the awareness of this one. What am I going to do with this, man? I have a feeling there was a lot of like raw potato eating in my past life. I don't know <laughs> if I want to go back there. I've been watching Space Force on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's some raw potato eating going. It's about yeah, a Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Recommend it. It gets better as you go along. Make um, it to episode three. If you make it to episode three. There you go. You'll be in. I think yeah, you're if, you get, if you get to episode three and watch episode three, that's when you'll be like, okay, I'm in. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm now I'm laughing out loud. Yeah. 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 There is no new TV anyway. Right. Or there won't be soon. So you'll, you'll make it there. Uh, thank you guys. It's already eight forty six. This is the longest, you know, sort of live zoom oh. conversation we've ever done. Uh, real quick. Let me get to the last of the chat here just to make sure everyone is heard. David mentions the veil is thinner in some areas. I think a lot of 2020 is influenced from beyond our reality is being affected, affected more deeply by whatever lies beyond. So some sort of causal energy or communication or reflective nature from something beyond ourselves is affecting our reality here, I think is what David is saying. What say you, Ryan? I'm on board with that. Yeah. Uh, To me, the ideas in my head that get sparked by this comment from David, I... And becoming increasingly aware, at least as of eight hours ago, during my daily writing, about the limitless resource of energy that is present in the moment of now, which is never something I ever understood before. Outside of intellectually understanding that being in the now is a better way to live and having some benefits from having experienced that in, in minor cases, um, uh, and knowing that being present in now was was always great, I never fully understood until today, at least on a personal level, how I can tap into, and it's almost like a drug, man. I'm telling you, like I, I feel like I've been, once the minute I rent, wrote this sentence out today, I've been full tilt ever since. And for me, it is no coincidence that it happened during a period of quarantine after four plus months that all of this stuff is happening Mm. in the world. And we are being given the opportunity to be alive during this special moment in time. And I do believe that the veil is thinner and that is why all of this stuff is kind of happening on top of each other. And maybe I'm feeling this exorbitant amount of now energy today because that veil is thinner. And I couldn't have felt it five years ago. Maybe because now I am able to, we all are able to, tap into that other side, those, or what I would argue, those limitless other sides, we're able to just, boom, access that now. And with that comes the energy from all of these different dimensions, worlds, realities, et cetera, et cetera, that are all part of the great colossal consciousness the multiple parallel simultaneous yous and we's out there. And maybe all of these different dimensions are now synced into the now moment. And if we can tap into that and I mean, talk to me in three days, 
I'm not gonna, like, <laughs> oh, that was just a it was just a new it was the end of the new moon, Jim. I always right, get right, right. jazzed up. You know, the, now that the new moon's gone, I just I'm, I'm, I want to take a nap again. Right, but, uh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would certainly you know at least provide some reasoning for why things feel so unnatural right now and so otherworldly. I'm going to bring Darcy back on just for closing comments because I, I, I love getting your feedback, Darcy. Um, and before then, uh, while Darcy is giving some closing remarks here for us, uh, thank you for that. Go ahead and raise your hand if you have any last minute comments or feedback for things uh, to enter into this discussion before we sign off for the night. And before I get to Dar Darcy, I'll also mention that this uh, Friday, will be another live night drift. We will be back with Tim Rothschild and we will have the CEO of Randonautica on with us. And of course, this is that app that I'm not sure if you folks are aware of it, Ryan and Darcy, but on one of the last episodes of Night Drift, we entered into sort of this deep discussion about the implications for this consumer app that uses random number generation to provide geolocations, assumedly quantumly randomly, and folks are discovering all sorts of interesting artifacts, both sort of scary and positive, and really coming up with some uh, incredible assumptions about what this app is doing at a very uninitiated level. So we're talking kids that think they could be quantum jumping because of this app. Uh, recently some teenagers in Seattle even discovered something as grisly as a dead body in a suitcase. What's the name of this app? This is called Randonautica. So the CEO of this company has agreed to go ahead and come on and uh, share what their intent is with the app and what they feel is going on and the process of how they've developed it and so forth. I'm just reading in chat here, but yeah, Ryan, check it out. It's a, uh, it's incredible. It's a rabbit hole. It. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to know. So this Friday we're going to be talking to him. Tim also has a lot of questions uh, from a different perspective of mine. Of course, Tim is a non-dual shamanic healer. And so he is coming from that space. I'm just coming from storyteller Jim. So it'll be a really interesting conversation, breaking that down and seeing how much of the occult is actually programmed into this thing and what is actually going on? Because they, Ryan, listen, it's, it's wild. The instructions while using the app is it's asking people to frame their intent before generating those numbers. This ties into Dr. Stephen Greer's work. It talks into so much, it, it ties into so much other stuff. And Absolutely. The Princeton experiments, morphic yeah. fields, you know, I mean, uh, wow! I'm sorry to blow your mind right here at the end of the program. Can we go to eleven? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Listen, you're free to join us on Friday too. Not putting you up to anything, but if you want questions directly from the CEO, this will be a good, a good opportunity for that. And so, um, I'm I'm endlessly fascinated. I've only done it once. I've told the listeners about it, this before. I've only done it once and it led me to just the back end of this mini mansion, uh, a McMansion, if you will. And the sensation I got while sitting there in front of this house, this 
you know, suburban, nothing is happening out of the ordinary house. My feeling while looking up at that vacant window was it was just like being at some of the haunted, the most haunted locations in America. That feeling of what could really be going on behind that window. It was, was, was wild. And so um, I can only imagine what others that are sort of not even ready for having experiences that are that transcendent, what their interpretations are. So uh, I'm so sorry, um, Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. No, I, it was fascinating watching you talk about the app, me know about that, but then Ryan, like, what? Okay. <laughs> like, like, what the, what the dawning on it because it's, and, and Ryan, I'm actually surprised because it seems like this is an app that is so up your alley as far as like the way that you like to explore and when you hike and things like that. Yeah, so like, you know, it's, it looks, it looks great. It's got the nine tenants of the rando knots. A friend of mine um, is into quantum tunneling. Um, so I'm familiar with the location and I believe she maybe uses this app because they do go on adventures. She goes on adventures to go find things. Uh, and, but she was calling it quantum tunneling. Um, when she was talking to me about it. So I'm gonna have to reach out to her because I think, uh, wow, seeing this now. Well, well, listen, it's an emerging tool for the paranormal as well, because I do know, and I didn't collect this tape, but I have this officially from Ryan Burns, who owns property right next to Skinwalker Ranch, who was featured in Euphemet, that one of his routine investigations down the property uses this app to discover anomalies within that space. And essentially, we want to talk about portals. Is there some sort of communication between the, the, the power, the, the conscious power, perhaps, of a portal and what we can pick up with these random number generators? Everything's numbers, man. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, um, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. And Darcy, please, if you have any last words, we'd, we'd really appreciate hearing from you as well. No, you know, I was just saying, like, kind of, we we're talking about like this whole expert thing, right? Like, what you did, like, dove into Ryan and Jim, what you've gotten into, and what I've gotten into, and the other folks here, right? I mean, none of us can really call ourselves experts in this because none of us have these answers. And like, every time someone claims, like, oh, I've got the answer, or disclosure's coming, or whatever it is, it's like, do you really? And I think that the, the movement that I'm seeing, and, and it is something, you know, Ryan and I have talked about, and, and I continue to engage in paranormal community where these elevated conversations are happening, is the true idea of real community, right? And not, not divisiveness and not this us versus them, but this idea that we can connect and we can pool our resources. And, you know, when Ryan and I were talking about like the problems in the paranormal, he's like, you've got the academic side, right? And I was like, yeah, no problem. But again, it wasn't like, that's not because Ryan's not willing to do the work. He's just like, Hey, I know you have an, you have knowledge in this area. Right. And so I think sometimes people get so precious about things like this is my investigation this is my knowledge and it's like but we don't better one another unless we share that unless we start to connect and the fact that i can you know hit different folks up and say hey do you have any knowledge about this or what context can you give me about this those kinds of things those are important things and we need to bring people from all levels of communities we need to have these elevated conversations because if we're not 
and everybody's just, you know, considered some fringe person on the edge, then it is never going to be taken seriously. We need people with so many different skill sets, just like in regular culture, right? And so it's like when I talk to folks about problems within subculture, I, I usually frame it that way first before I'm like, well, I do a lot of work in those problems in the paranormal. <laughs> then they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like when I talk to people about that, they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, isn't everybody, everyone that thinks this way all thinks this way? I'm like, oh, oh no, friends. I would love to think that. But we truly need to continue to connect. And just as we're doing in larger culture, calling out problematic things, saying we will not stand for racism and misogyny and anti-Semitism and homophobia and transphobia and all of these, all of these things, right? It has to happen in this world too. It has to be a safe space for BIPOC. It has to be safe spaces for women. It has to be safe spaces for everyone to truly come to say, this is my experience or this is my knowledge and how can I help? And, and that's why I, lo I love conversations like this, right? Because this is, and that's one of the things I really appreciate, you know, to tag on to what Ryan was saying, Jim, about you've met and I've liked since episode one is you did not set out to create this sensational, like, oh, you know, lasers and like, put you, as Mike Birbiglia says, right? <laughs> you're telling these stories and you're not telling stories with a, like, in a loaded way. You're just like, tell me your story. What's your experience? And it's such a different and beautiful way. And I think if we can get to a space where we can truly listen to people's experiences, where it's okay for people like Ryan, like you were saying earlier, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but I am right now and telling this, like people to be vulnerable and to have those things, it changes the dynamic of this culture and of this world so much. And it creates spaces for people to be vulnerable, to be able to be honest, and ultimately to not feel like they're alone. And that's so important. Yeah. Thank you so much for, yeah, you, you summed it up. You know, uh, we need to rally around each other. Tonight on Night Drift, do you feel alone? <laughs> Sasquatch is watching. Is it a safe space for Chupacabra? In <laughs> girls, Jim Perry. Pitch you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so funny. Um, I'm going to read one last comment, and then we're going to hear how people can find both of your work. And to Darcy, this is why I got out of, this is from Heather. And to Darcy, this is why I, why I got out of paranormal investigation many years ago. Too many egos and not enough people working together to share the precious information to prove the existence of this phenomenon. I got into it for the science, not the radio interviews and newspaper articles and TV spots. This was a long time ago. Um, yeah, so there you have it. I think there's a lot of folks that are, you know, sort of outside the spectrum of routinely investigating right now or even researching or even delving into these things because of the fracturing of media, we now have an opportunity to stand on each other's shoulders to amplify voices that really uh, should be heard and to bring these folks back to the party and work together on it. So uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. 
you know, you're, you're a peach. Uh, I think I'm joining you for an interview later this week, perhaps. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but, um, yeah, you, yeah, you can say that. Okay. I'm pick I, up on Fridays, huh? Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm joining you. We're going to talk several times this week, which I'm very excited about. Me too. I was very excited about that myself. Yeah. I, I, yeah, of course. Where can people find your work? Um, you know, me and paranormal you, that's the name of the, the podcast I've been doing for about a little over six years. Uh, and then this is where the magic happens is another podcast I do with my friend, Angela Lovell, uh, who's a psychic witch. Um, that one's very fun. Um, much different than me and paranormal you, uh, which is the reason I like it, but I'm on the internet, all the places I've kind of detached a little bit from social media, but I'm on all those spots. Um, you can find me on Instagram at rising Twitter rising, although, you know, I'm slowly but surely, I think moving away from all that stuff, but. I'll still update and there'll be important updates and information at those, at those social media sites. But um, yeah, you can just find me out there. Somewhere in the, what is it? The watering hole in the astral plane? Is that yeah, it? the watering hole in the astral plane. It's the only place any of us can hang out right now. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Darcy, how about you? Can uh, folks follow you or find your work? Because you're always up to interesting projects. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at Darcy Staniforth. Um, and the podcast that I've been working on, we're still waiting on a release date because we're tied into a network, but is um, the Mysteries Decoded podcast. So hopefully that's coming soon, but feel free to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darcy Staniforth. Thank you so much, folks. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, keep looking up, I guess, huh? Love you. Bye. Love you, buddy. Thank you for listening to this edition of Night Drift, presented by Uvamet. Thank you to our guests, Ryan Singer and Darcy Staniforth. For more of their work, find links in the show notes. And thank you as well to our sponsors, Spotify and Anchor. You can look for my most recent guest appearance on Ryan's own show, Me and Paranormal You. We drift into a very strange breakaway civilization discussion that you would be excited to listen to, I think. You can find that now on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To be a part of our next live Zoom interview, join us on Patreon. It's $5 per month and includes access to Euphemet, the original series, and much more. For everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to the show, our short film series with Carl Pfeiffer of Hell Your Fame, merch, and links to our social media, visit euphemet.com. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up. Follow Euphemet on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.